Good evening, church. Tonight I want to talk about a phrase that kind of stuck in my mind just a little bit, and we're going to work on it here a little bit and hopefully understand what I'm trying to get at. Um, There's a phrase called one step forward and two steps back. And, And I didn't do any slides tonight, but if I had a picture up on the slides, I think what I would probably have up there is somebody trying to get on an escalator. And as they get on the down escalator, they turn around and they see their friends at the top and the friends say, oh no, we decided we wanted to go this other direction. And so they begin to then try to walk up the down escalator. Now, first of all, you're fighting the escalator itself because it wants to go the other direction. But then also you've had now some people that have got on the escalator behind you and you are now trying to dodge them to try to get back to the top. So the end result is, is that you take one step in the right direction, but you have two things forcing you back down the other direction. Now, at that point in time, you have two choices. You can do what junior high John would have done, which is to plow over the grandmothers that had gotten on the escalators behind you and sprint up the escalator and try to outpace it. Or you can make the more mature decision, and you can say, well, if I ride the escalator the rest of the way down... I can get back up on the escalator going up, and then I'll get there. Perhaps that choice, probably being the more mature and professional choice, would be taking two steps back in order to take one step forward. Okay? And tonight, that's what I want to do. I want to take two steps back in order to take one step forward. You know, as, as uh, Brother Maple had prayed just a little bit ago, we hope that uh, this fathers the Christian Faith, we hope to spur people on, and that's what I really want to do. But before I can do that, I want to take two steps back. I want to take and look at some scripture, which I believe has been used incorrectly by people outside the church for many years, and has almost pushed non-biblical things on us as Christians. I want to clear those things up. And hopefully the point is that we get to is that we can clear those things up, and then we can get to the point to where we spur ourselves on to do better things. So, two steps back. The first one I want to hit on is a phrase. Actually, both of them are phrases, but the first one, the phrase in which I want to hit on is, thou shall not judge. Now, actually, there is no thou shall in front of not judging. It's just a nice little phrase to put in front of something that you want to make sound more biblical. Perhaps if I want my wife to make me a sandwich, I should say, thou shall make me a sandwich. And therefore, it would be more likely to get done. But it won't work. It's not biblical. And neither is the thou shall not judging. Now, we do have some verses that say not to judge. And we shouldn't judge people in regards to the value of their life. We shouldn't judge people on whether or not they're going to go to heaven or not. That's God's to judge. But these are the verses in which we have to work with. Let's look at Matthew chapter 7 and the first five verses. It says, do not judge. For you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Continuing on to verse 3, it says, Why do you look at the speck of dust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Let me take, take the speck out of your eye, when all the time you have a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck out of your own eye. 
Now, in verse 1 and verse 2, I think we see there, in which it's specifically being careful not to judge people. Specifically, I think we're looking at the souls of people and whether or not they are worthy to go to heaven, whether or not they are of higher standard or lower standard of us. And that's not our job to judge. But as we go down into the speck of the eye, what we see is something interesting. We see that it says, take the plank out of your own eye before addressing the speck in their eye, indicating that there is a speck or a plank in both of our eyes. My point is, is that when this phrase is used in the world today, when somebody says, you can't judge me or don't judge, really what they're saying is, I don't want to be told about that speck in my eye. And I don't believe that's what these verses are saying. They're saying, don't tell me what I'm doing is wrong because I want to keep doing it. And I don't think that's biblical. But more important than that, the effort to not judge, the effort to try to do the right thing and not judge, we have found ourselves not judging things that we should do elsewhere. So an example of that, here in the last couple of weeks, I don't remember exactly the dates of it, there's this concert, get-together or something, in the desert, and it's called Burning Man. I don't know if you guys have heard about it. If you guys have heard about it, I guess it's kind of like Woodstock, only on steroids. There's all kinds of crazy things going on there. And the whole premise of it is, is whatever you feel like doing, you can do. You know, there's no rules, there's no no, uh, law out here. You just do whatever you want to do. Okay? Now, regardless of what happens there, I've witnessed none of it because I've never been there. I can make a judgment that it is not healthy for me as a Christian to go there. Okay? For that matter, I can make a judgment on my family that I don't want any of my children or my spouse to go there. Those close to me, fellow Christians, good friends, I am not going to encourage them. And just the opposite, I'm going to make a judgment call that it is not healthy to attend that activity. Okay? I'm not judging somebody. I'm not judging their eternal life. But I am looking at a situation and I'm saying... Yeah, that's not exactly healthy to be at. I'm making a judgment on that. Okay? Some other things that we might consider, social media. It's not to say you can't have it. I have it. I have it on my phone. But there are obviously things in which are not healthy on social media. I should make a judgment and say, hey, maybe limit the amount of time. Maybe make sure that the content that I see is of Christian manner. There are things in which I can make a judgment on there. The government sets rules for us. At 17, you can see these things. At 18, you can do those things. At 21, you can partake in different things. Just because the government says you should do it, I personally can make a judgment in my own life, as well as in my family's life, the ones that are at least underneath my roof still, that these are not healthy things. They are not Christian things to do. So it's important for us to understand the difference of the judgment that the Bible says not to do and the judgments that I need to do in order to steer my life towards God. Okay? There's another phrase. We're still talking about judgment, and this is the second one in which I hear come out, and it's used against us. It's another phrase in the Bible, and it is, uh, he without sin cast the first stone. All right? This is another phrase, and it comes from John chapter, chapter 8. And you can read about the first 11 verses. You can get the whole entirety of it. I'm just going to start in verse 3, and it says, The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and placed her in the midst, 
in their midst, and then said to, to him, being Jesus, said, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now the law of Moses condemns or commands us to stone this, such a woman. So what do you say? And after Jesus stooped and drew in the sand, whether he wrote words or drew pictures, who we don't really know, but he, he comes back and he says, let he who is without sin among you be the first to cast a stone at her. And that's where that verse comes from. You know, and so, so uh, we have this phrase that gets thrown back at us from people that are outside the church. And it says, he without sin cast the first stone. Now, first of all, we need to understand what the Pharisees were at here. The Pharisees were not looking for Jesus to give them the authority to stone the woman. They did not care about his thoughts or his authority. In fact, is they felt like that he had no authority. What they were really trying to do, and it even says in the verses in which I skipped over, is that they were trying to trap him. You see, if he would have answered, yes, stoner, because that's what the law of Moses says, then they would have went to the authorities of the Roman government, and they would have said, hey, look, he's trying to kill people without your permission, and then they would have gotten him in trouble with the Romans. If he had said, no, don't stone him, then the people that had been gathered that day that were listening to him would have said, well, what, what kind of a God does he serve? Because the God of the Bible, the God he says that he is the son of, says that the commandment here is to stone a woman or stone anybody, really, with, with adultery. So they had found a trap that they thought they were going to catch him in. And so he comes back with this phrase of, well, let the, first, let the one without sin stone him. Now, how he said that, the, the tone in his voice is hard to pick up in the scripture. But since they were not worried about what he thought, I don't think he was giving them, in fact, as I'm sure, that he was not giving them a commandment. Okay, Jesus was not up there saying, all right, raise your hand and I will let the person without sin throw the first stone. He wasn't saying he was going to let anything because they didn't care. They weren't going to wait for him if that's what they, want, he, they wanted to do. They weren't going to stone him because they didn't want to get in trouble with the Romans. All right? It was just a trick. And so he had answered in a way that neither answered for stoning or against stoning, but made them ponder their own heart and their own salvation. All right? So, so that's what he was doing, and that's important because people, when they use this, they say, whoever has never sinned cast the first stone... What they really want to say is, I can't be found guilty of whatever I've done wrong because everybody else has sinned too. What they really want you to realize, what they really want you to believe is that my sin is canceled out because you have also sinned. And therefore there is no ramification, which is the second thing that they want to do. And that is, is that they believe that when Jesus said, oh, then, you know, basically let the lady off, that he doesn't promote any consequence for sin. If you're happy, everybody's happy, there's no consequences for sin. But that's not true either because in verse 11, he states it. He states in verse 11, he says, go and sin no more. So he recognizes the sin still. There is still a consequence in life and there's still a consequence in eternity. He just didn't address it in the law of Moses. 
All right? So these are two things in which the world throws at us to try to, us, to get us not to look at things in this world as though they are better or they are worse to do. All right? Now, they're kind of worried about the things that are sinful, but somehow we have been so careful as to not want to judge, not want to pass judgment on somebody, that we have forgotten that in order to make decisions in life, we need to make a judgment call on whether those decisions in life are good to do or not to do. Okay? Now, let's do a little housekeeping here. I know that there are sins involved in these first, uh, first examples, and I'm not trying to get away from the sins, but at this point in time, I'm not wanting to talk specifically about sin. I'm wanting to talk about our struggle in life between good and evil. In Galatians chapter 5, 16, and 17, we learn about a struggle, a tug-of-war match between the desires of the flesh and the desires of the Spirit. And it specifically says they're in contrast from each other. It says, says, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do what you want. So we have this, we have this battle. Do I do this? Do I not do this? You know, maybe I should do this over there. And the challenge is, is that us as Christians, long before sin happens, we have to put ourselves in the right spot. We have to think about what's going to cause us to sin on down the road. And because of that, we have to consider what feeds the flesh and what feeds the spirit. If you feed the spirit, you're going to grow closer to God. If you feed the flesh, you're going to grow away from God. Now, hopefully, as Christians and as mature Christians here tonight, here at Sunday night, Sunday night service is always the more mature crowd, we want to grow closer to God. And in order to do that, we need to make decisions in our life to say, hey, these are things I'm going to do, and these are things that I'm not going to do. All right? Now, so that brings us to the next thing. And the next thing that, so we've taken our two steps back, now we want to try to take our step forward. Our step forward is the idea that we want to strengthen our body for Christ. In Ephesians chapter 6, we talk about the, the whole armor of God. And, but, but starting in verse 11, it says, so we can take a stand against the devil, devil's scheme. So, so let's get this picture here. As we start to work towards making ourselves better for the, uh, for the Lord, if we start talking about how can I do something in which to prove, improve my life, to live closer to God. We have to understand that in Ephesians chapter 6, it starts building an armor up. It starts building you up. It starts strengthening you. It starts giving you tools to fight. And specifically in Romans 6, 11, it says, against the devil's schemes. Okay? So that's what we're in fighting against. And much like the escalator that we started off with tonight, you can't just stand still. You can fight uphill against it. You can run towards the devil. But if you just stand still, you will slowly, with atrophy, move away from God. And so here's the challenge, is that we need to do something to protect ourselves. We need to build on ourselves, to mature ourselves, and to grow ourselves in God. 
In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul talks about this specifically with himself. It says, everyone who, who competes in a race, I'm sorry, in the games, does so with strict training. They do it to get a, a crown that will be lost. But we do it to get a crown that will never be lost. Therefore, I do not run with some, like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and I make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified from the race. He talks specifically here about how he makes his body a slave. He controls it so that he might not be disqualified for the race. Now, there's a couple things here. When we start talking about this kind of stuff, we, we almost border on some legalism. You know, where we start stacking rules upon rules. And we see that in Jesus' time, how the Jews had done this, how they had, how they had started counting steps that they could take on the Sabbath, how they could help a neighbor and how they had to wait till the next day, how they made their food and how they had to wait till the next day. And there's this huge legalism battle that you go through, Okay. And if we had the elders standing up here and saying, okay, everybody come up and sign a contract, nobody is going to go to rated R movies anymore. That might border on the legalism side. Now, granted, they might be doing it for your own best interest, but the fact that it's at a more corporate level, that might be seen as more legalism. I'm not suggesting that. The elders haven't sent me up here to do that. What I'm suggesting is that you, in your own personal life, that you might set boundaries that you might set boundaries for yourself, that you might set boundaries for those within your family, within your household, so that we might feed the spirit and not feed the flesh. So, <clears throat> sidestepping legalism, maybe we have some suggestions. You say, well, what could we do? And I'm glad you've asked me that. I mean, I heard you guys kind of saying that, hey, you know, what can you do? I have a list of ideas. These aren't ideas of things that you should do. They're areas in which you should contemplate. Some things in which I think everybody should contemplate within themselves. Hey, what, how do I feel about this situation? What should I set my boundaries for? So let's talk through one of the, some of those things. The first one is, is I believe that we should live within our means financially. Now that's different for everybody, but here's the problem. At the point in time in which you can't make the right decision because you're tied to your bills, because you're tied to your loans, because you're tied to the possessions that you've bought and are now paying for, it causes you not to make good decisions. Now, I know this world is a wild place, and I don't plan to try to set that rule for everybody, but it is something in which you could consider in your own life and say, hey, I want to control my own destiny. I want to control. I want to be able to say, hey, at this point in time, this might be fine for the company I work for, but it is not right for my family. And I want to be able to make that decision. I want to be free of the burden of feeling like I don't have any choices there. Right? So it's good to be financially living within your means so you can make those decisions. Obviously, on the other side of that is also the possessions in which you own. You don't want houses and cars and antiques and hobbies and vacations to control the decisions to where you can no longer fulfill your word, your, your work as one of God's followers, right? You don't want those to tie you up. 
Okay, moving to another category. It's like uh, we should be careful of that which causes us to think about sinful things. Obviously, things in which you lust after, and not just, you know, we, we definitely have a brain thought that goes one direction with lusting after stuff. But if you have a desire to own an a, a exotic car, and yet you know that that is going to cause you into the financial trouble, it might not be a good idea for you to go to car shows and, and drool over nice and fancy cars. If you have a desire to live beyond your means in fancy houses and lavish resorts, it might not be a good idea for you to go on the parade of homes. Or it might not be a good idea for you to spend too much time on HGTV. I'm not setting those boundaries. I'm just saying that you should think about that and what your limitations of your own self should be. If we, move, if we keep moving down to some of the others, we should protect the innocence of our children. And once again, that's going to be different for everybody, depending upon what atmosphere you're in, depending on what neighborhood, what family you're in. But there are some things in which we should protect our children about. Social media definitely being one of them. Um, but also just the idea that I should probably have rules that are different than the school that my kids go to and what the government says is the bare minimum. I'm not saying what those rules are. You make up those rules. But we shouldn't just default to the society standards out there. You know, uh, I think Instagram says 13 is the right age to be on Instagram. Um, But if you ever want to see why we need to filter Instagram, like I said, I have social media here. Um, You hit Instagram, and at the bottom there's like a little search, search button right there. And you can search like maybe your favorite famous movie stars or your favorite race car drivers or whatever you want to do. But Instagram has already popped up all these little squares in which show me what Instagram thinks I want to see. Okay? Now, they've done that by knowing how old I am, what gender I am, uh, what stage of life I am, maybe some other things that I've liked or watched on Instagram. Um, but slowly they come up with a profile that they believe that you want to see. And I can scroll through mine. I got some off-roading stuff here, which makes sense because we just went on a four-wheeler trip. I have some gun stuff, which I, I like shooting, so that makes sense. I have some cars. I have some football. Those are all my hobbies. But here, about four scrolls down, we have like 40-year-old single moms like joking about something. I don't know what. I'm not going to click on it. I've never subscribed to that stuff. But Instagram has decided that John Dunham, the almost 50-year-old, would like to see reels of 40-year-old moms making funny jokes about how they're single or, you know, or how cute they are or whatever. And, 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 And that's all what Instagram decided that I need to see. Okay? So I dare you, parents... And go take your kid's phone and go hit that search engine and find out what Instagram thinks that your kids need to see. It's not that hard. It's not like you have to surf forever. It's right there on top. It's what they're suggesting. Okay? Now, I'm not saying no social media. Okay? I'm saying there should be boundaries. We should set boundaries for our children. The status quo of what society says is boundaries is not enough for a Christian. All right? Let's keep going. The next one, protecting your marriage. Obviously, society here pays no attention to the value of marriage in a lot of ways. 
So in that regards, we need to be careful about it. We need to spend time investing in it. We should be going on dates. We should be spending time with our spouses. In addition to that, we should encourage marriage seminars. I I bring this one up. Will's not here. I think there's actually a marriage seminar coming up here at Northside. And it's important not only if you are young or if maybe your marriage is a little on the rocks, but it's important that even for solid, good marriages to go to these things. If for no other reason than to remove the stigma that only people in trouble go to them. All right? It's important to go to those things. We should be going to those things. We should be protecting even the healthy marriage. And then, of course, the obvious, but I'll go ahead and say it, we need to be very careful of friends of the opposite sex. We need to be careful of friends that celebrate the freedom of not being in marriage. And we need to celebrate the ones in which, I'm sorry, we don't need to celebrate. We need to be careful not to hang out with the ones in which constantly bag on how bad marriage is and how bad it is to have children. All right? You need to separate yourself from those groups create a barrier for those people so that you live a healthier a healthier marriage. Okay? These are all suggestions of John. These are not biblical. I might be able to find some biblical reasoning for all of them. I don't think I've done anything that's not biblical. But these are all suggestions from John. But you yourself have to set your own boundaries. These are things in which if you don't do, the world is going to do, and they're not going to be good enough. All right? So, why does John come up here and spend the, the evening talking to you guys about what we should do or not do or what boundaries you have to say? Well, I can tell you why. It's because it hurts me when I see fellow Christians falling away from the church because they didn't set boundaries for themselves. It hurts me when I see children who are raised in the church but were never given boundaries and now no longer have boundaries as they exit the home. It hurts me when I see marriages falling apart because we let too much world get into our homes. It hurts me when I see the church struggling in areas over here or areas over there because we didn't use the word to rightly divide what we should be doing and not doing. That's not a north side problem. That's a church problem. Right? North side does a really good job. And yet we still could probably find this here. And it hurts. I didn't come up here to try to point one particular thing out. I didn't try to step on anybody's toes. So I please forgive me if, if I hit something close to home. My point is just simply to say, let's be better at fighting and feeding the spirit within us. Let's not be complacent to stand still. And so as we close tonight, and I don't know if I'm on time or not, Jim, you give me a thumbs up, we're on time? Or, yeah, okay, we're good. All right, so in close tonight, we're going to say a prayer. That's what Toby does at the end of these lessons, and so that's what we're going to do. We're going to stop and say a prayer. Okay, I'm going to pray up here for everybody, but more importantly, I would like everybody out there to pray specifically for their boundaries, for their walk with God, I pray that we will close the doors that the devil gets his foothold in and starts to work on us. I pray that we will share our burdens with one another so that we don't let them get out of control. 
You know, we do a really good job in this world today of hiding things. We live so separate lives that people don't know about it until oftentimes it is too late. So I pray that we share our burdens. And finally, as in Ephesians chapter 6, I pray that we take the time to put on the armor of God so that we can take a stand against the devil's schemes in our lives. All right? I pray up here. I ask that you guys pray out there. Let's pray. Oh, Lord and Father, I thank you so much for what you've done for us, for what you've given us, the word of God, as well as the son, your son that died on the cross for us. Lord, I pray and pray and pray that we might strengthen the church, that we might do it one at a time, that we might do it for ourselves, we might do it for our families, and that we might grow stronger. That we might find our weaknesses before the devil does, and that we might shut the door before he gets a foothold. Lord, I pray so much that as we build the bonds of Christ within us, that we might share our burdens, that we might not dwell upon them, or we might not build upon them, that we might not throw them out for others to trample on, but that we might secure the weaknesses and build on each other so we might strengthen the body of Christ. Lord, finally, we know that there is a war out there for our souls. We know that the devil is seeking every opportunity to pounce. Lord, we don't know where the next stab will come from. We don't know where the next blow might hit. But Lord, we know that your scripture talks about an armor that we need to put on, that we need to strengthen ourselves, that we might put ourselves in the right spot so that we might be able to handle the schemes of the devil. And Lord, I just pray so much that you might help us individually as, as well as a congregation, that we might strengthen ourselves and we might glorify your name and that we might overcome these things that so easily entangles. For it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.